This episode of the Case for Safety podcast is sponsored by Safe Start. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Case for Safety podcast. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. Thank you so much for joining us today for a conversation about dealing with distractions in the workplace. And uh, joining me for that conversation, I'm very happy to welcome Danny Smith. Danny is a safety management specialist and certified instructional trainer with more than 25 years of EHS experience. He is also a senior consultant for Safe Start and fellow podcast host of Safe Start's Safe Talk podcast. Danny, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me today. It's really exciting to be able to do this. Excited to talk to you. Now, we're we're talking about distractions in the workplace. So I thought we'd kind of kick things off at talking about, you know, the concept of distractions. Now, when we think of distractions, our minds naturally gravitate to distractions while driving. Uh, is that how you first became interested in the subject? It really is. Uh, and, and you're right. It's Distractions affect us everywhere, right? And we typically think about them on the road, but we hear so much about distractions in the workplace as well. Uh, my interest in this actually began as I was preparing for a conference presentation on distracted driving. And uh, I began that process because uh, my daughter had been involved in a pretty serious auto accident uh, where she was hit by a drunk driver. And uh, fortunately, we're very fortunate she wasn't injured. Uh, totaled her car uh, as the other car as well, uh, but she avoided injuries. But it struck me at the time how similar that is to drunk driving. And we've all heard the statistics about uh, the similarities between distracted driving and, and drunk driving. Uh, and at the time, this goes back a number of years, quite obviously, uh, I also realized that, you know, we had a lot of programs and and emphasis programs on things like drunk driving. But at the time, there wasn't as much out on about, you know, texting and driving, things like that. Certainly, that's changed over time. But uh, as I began thinking about that, I just realized the tie into distractions that we all face, regardless of the activity that we're doing, driving or working on machinery or what have you. That's a, a good segue into into my next question. You know, a, as you mentioned, uh, you know, there could be all kinds of different distractions uh, in the workplace. Uh, do you find that some of our activities have resulted in almost habitual distraction? I really think it has. And uh, let's back up just a moment, if you don't mind, and think about the idea of uh, habitual distraction. Just think about types of behaviors that we all do over time. Uh, and we'll relate these to driving, since that's kind of where I started the discussion here, and certainly these apply to the workplace as well. Uh, one thing that we do is what I would classify as kind of a deliberate action or deliberate behavior with driving that may be speeding or perhaps if you're like me, you may have even uh, set the cruise control at five or eight miles an hour over the speed limit before. That's a deliberate action, right? Um, could also be habitual, like not checking your blind spot before you change lanes. Or what I find the, the bulk of the uh, behaviors that we do are unintentional, you know, things like missing a stop sign or a traffic signal. So thinking about those three and back to the question about habitual distraction, what I find really fascinating is that when it comes to distractions, a lot of the things that distract us start out as deliberate actions, texting on the cell phone while driving, that then in turn become habitual. Uh, you know, and I think it's especially true if you take something that is a very intentional risk, like talking on the cell phone while driving or texting or even texting while walking, uh, which is a huge distraction, huge issue for a lot of people. If you have no serious consequences, 
that really reinforces that negative behavior. And then that can become habitual because there were no negative consequences. You know, and the other thing I find that, as I mentioned, a lot of the distractions are, some of them are intentional, some are habitual, but the bulk of them are just uh, unintentional too. We talk about, you know, not having your mind on task resulting from complacency or other human factors. And that's, that's certainly a part of this as well. Now, when it comes to distractions, I think it's really important to note as well, it, it doesn't just apply to driving. I mean, distractions are really a 24-7 issue. If you don't believe that, just go to your local mall or your local grocery store. I'm heading to the airport in just a few minutes, and uh, I can assure you I'll see plenty of people walking and talking on their phones or walking and texting while they're moving. You know, it, it's also interesting to me that we think as a society that if we put a rule in place at work, we put a policy or procedure in place or a law in place in society, that that just solves the problem. And well, it doesn't. You know, even for the most ardent rule followers, uh, well, we're all human and we all are subject to these different just types of distractions, right? Expanding on that, you, you touched a little bit on it there, but you know, uh, what are some of the you know different types of distractions you've noted as you've uh, investigated and, and researched distraction in the workplace? Yeah, I found a really good study on this. It's actually an older study. It goes way back to 2011 that uh, is from the Governor's Safety Highway Association and State Farm. Uh, they did a study together uh, that outlined four major types of distractions uh, related, obviously, to driving. But I think these apply, again, in all areas of our lives. Uh, first was a visual distraction. If you're driving, could be looking at a billboard, looking at the GPS or what have you. Uh, so certainly you can see how a visual distraction can take your eyes off the task that you're doing in the moment. Uh, the second was uh, an audio distraction. Uh, for me, I'm a musician, so I'm constantly listening to music while I'm driving. Uh, so I have to be really conscious that I'm not focused too much on the music, but focused on driving, right? The main task I'm doing could be just having a conversation with a passenger, though. There also could be manual distractions that could be adjusting something with the climate controls, changing the radio station, putting a CD in, reaching for something in the car, something like that. Uh, and cognitive distractions were the fourth one. And that's just focused on anything other than what you your primary job is, which is obviously driving in the moment. And to me, I think cognitive may be the worst by far. I mean, we can't just stop our minds from wandering, and that's why telling people things like, no, just pay more attention, be more careful, or, well, focus on what you're doing, that just doesn't work, right? So in that respect, I think it's really critical for us to develop some really good safety-related habits centered around the specific task or activity that you're doing, be it driving, a weekend project, or something that you're doing regularly at work. I mean, you talked about uh, habit formation. I'm curious, you know, about, you know, how habits are formed. I could see, um, as you know, maybe some misconceptions about that. So why don't we kind of dive into that and talk about, you know, how these habits are formed? Sure. And you're right. There are a lot of different things uh, out there that uh, we've all heard, uh, kind of the pop culture or pop science or pop psychology, whatever you want to call it there. Um, but there's a lot of things out there that are just old myths or uh, misconceptions. Uh, first of all, it's probably something that every one of us has probably heard. And that's that if you do something 21 days in a row, it becomes a habit. And uh, that's that's just not true. Um, depending on the individual, uh, depending on the if it were that easy, it'd be great. Right. I'd, I'd be skinny. Uh, anyway, depending on the individual, depending on the habit you're working on, uh, the frequency that you do an activity, lots and lots of variables there. Uh, it can take as, as many as 60 or, or or even more very intentional repetitions 
to get something to what's classified as true habit strength. True habit strength. What do you, what do you mean by that? Well, to illustrate that, let's think about something that uh, some people would consider a, a simple habit, a simple safety habit. Although I don't know that there's really anything simple about human factors and their corresponding actions and behaviors of that. Uh, but let's think for a minute about something just as simple as using a handrail while you're walking up or down steps. When you start working on a new habit, whatever the habit is, and we'll use the handrail for an example here, uh, you have to consciously think about it. And you have to consciously, your conscious mind really has to tell, and I know this sounds a little goofy, but your conscious mind has to tell your arm and your hand to reach out and hold the handrail as you're approaching a set of steps. And then over time, you come up to another set of steps, you tell your arm again, hold the handrail, your hand reaches out, right? And you repeat that, right? And over time, and with that intentional repetition, you start to do things automatically. Uh, you walk up as you're approaching a set of steps, your eyes see that. And even though your conscious mind doesn't register, oh, it's a set of steps, your subconscious mind actually begins to raise your arm and reach for the handrail uh, without your conscious mind really even being involved. That's really what we're talking about there. That's when you've reached true habit strength, when you just instinctively do something with your subconscious mind, which is where really a lot of the things that we do on a day-to-day -day basis, the majority of the things we do on a day-to-day -day basis uh, related to habits take place. And that really helps us for times when, um, well, when we're distracted or we're otherwise complacent, uh, potentially missing a step in the example of the stairways and losing your balance, right, would be what could happen there. But that that habit helps to compensate for that uh, distraction and or complacency there. Sure. That's, that's a really good example. I wonder in the research you've done, have you found, you know, other misconceptions around it, that habit formation? Yeah. One of my favorites is, um, and it's another thing that we've all heard. Uh, we've heard the idea that practice makes perfect. Uh, and I often say you can practice doing something wrong and well, you can get really good at messing it up every time, right? Um, and maybe that doesn't apply necessarily to holding the handrail. I think we all know how to do that. But, you know, with these safety habits, uh, it's important that we practice them on a regular basis and we practice them uh, consistently. Um, and, you know, if talking about messing something up as a habit, if anybody's ever played golf with me, you'd understand perfectly what I'm saying there. And in my defense, I don't play golf very much. It's usually four, five, six rounds a year at that. And I don't think I've actually played since the pandemic. So uh, you get an idea when I go back out again, it's going to be ugly, right? Um, when I do play, even when I'm playing four, five, six rounds a year, because I don't play a lot and I started that game late in life, uh, I literally have to spend the first three or four holes thinking about things like how to hold the club, how's my grip, how am I standing, uh, my back swing, all of that, right? And and with all that, I still managed to break a hundred on the front nine. Um, on the other hand, uh, another of my hobbies is playing bass guitar. I mean, as I'm sitting here in my office as we're recording, I've got four bass guitars hanging on the wall about 10 feet away from me here. So I, I'm very familiar with that. I've been playing since I was 14 years old and I play all the time. Uh, I don't have to think about it when I play. Uh, I just pick up the guitar and start playing, right? I hear a chord change and my hands instinctively go to that note. And I've practiced, you know, countless hours through the years. And that practice makes permanence. That's what I would always say. Practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanence. 
And, uh, you know, neuroscientists refer to this in terms of habit formation as building what they call preferred neural pathways. And that's in our subconscious minds, going back to that again. I mean, literally what we're doing is we're forming connections within our mind, such as our eyes noticing the steps, going back to that again, and then our subconscious mind sending the signal to hold the handrail. Again, it's just a, a pathway that's built in our subconscious mind. Something you talked about there and that you mentioned earlier is intentional practice. I wonder if we could, you know, kind of dive a little bit more into that, you know, and how it plays into, you know, both habit, habit formation and avoiding distraction. Sure. Um, You know, and I cut my teeth in manufacturing and production scheduling. So that's kind of my background before I moved over into safety back 20 plus years ago now, 25 years plus now. I guess I'm getting older. Anyway, um, for me, you know, based on that idea, I've always been in production scheduling or that type of thing when I was in, in originally manufacturing. Uh, I always have to have a plan. And uh, that's critical in terms of habit formation as well. So there's several things you can do to plan the practice of your habit. Uh, one thing that I think is very effective is thinking of specific times or activities when you're likely to use that habit. For example, if uh, you want to develop the habit of always wearing a face shield while you're using a hand grinder, you may place the PPE directly on top of your grinder case in your tool chest, right? That way you have to actually physically handle the PPE uh, before you get to the grinder. And that can just be a signal to you as a reminder to work on that as a habit, right? Uh, Maybe you're working on something like not talking on your cell phone while you're driving. And uh, if that's the case, you could do something like putting a picture of your kids or your grandkids or your pet by the speedometer. And that way you'll see it when you get in the car. And it's just a good visual reminder uh, to turn the phone off and make sure you arrive safely where you're going, right? Um, Another great idea is to share what you're working with with somebody else. I mean, that's kind of the old buddy system at work. And they can help you Keep, keep you accountable. And then who knows, maybe you'll inspire them, uh, a friend, a family member, or a coworker that you're asking to be your, your accountability partner on that. Uh, maybe you inspire them to help start working on that habit themselves, right? Um, one other thing that I mentioned here is um, it's really important to reward yourself when you reach a specific number of repetitions on a habit. Uh, you know, put a notepad near where you're likely to be practicing the habit and just put a check mark on the pad when you when you practice it. Now, obviously, don't let that be a distraction in and of itself. But, you know, say when you get to 40, 60 repetitions, whatever goal you've set for yourself, reward yourself a bit there. And that positive reinforcement really helps your brain to to train itself, uh, to train itself to repeat that habit. Uh, goes back to that idea that we talked about before, where if you do something, there are no negative consequences, you tend to keep doing it. Well, the same thing here, right? You you have the positive consequences by rewarding yourself. That tends to make you subconsciously want to do that and continue to do that. All right. Uh, anything else you'd like to to add about uh, dealing with uh, distractions in the in the in the workplace as we as we wrap up? Well, you know, I know we've focused a bit on uh, some of this in terms of driving, and I I like to use driving examples because it's something that's a common task for everybody, regardless of the industry that you're in. But you can certainly take these concepts uh, and apply them regardless of what it is that you're doing. Um, You know, the idea of manual distractions, 
mental distractions, the cognitive distractions, the visual and the auditory, all of those apply as well in the workplace, just like they would behind the wheel. So I think it's really important for everybody to think about those. And for me, thinking about those in those terms really kind of helped me uh, realize what some of the distractions were and then in turn helped me develop those plans we were talking about to form some habits to help compensate for them uh, and to, to prevent the distractions in the first place from having those negative consequences. So, Right, exactly. Uh, well, uh, thank you so much again for coming on, Danny. I think this is something that's so important for for all of us to keep in mind, you know, during our daily lives to help, you know, keep ourselves and those uh, around us safe. So I really, uh, really appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much. Really enjoyed this and uh, love to do it again sometime. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Case for Safety podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at ASSP.org and follow us on Twitter at ASSP Safety. We'll see you next time.